then I would remember that I had this experience, this sort of light of divinity in a way that was just walking with me, not telling me what to do, not requiring anything of me, just being with me. I felt very not alone because this experience had happened for me. And so, you know, I say that the community was were midwives, but it was really grief that birthed me into the person that I am today. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Hello, Pixie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Kendra. So happy to be here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for accepting to be here. So I'm going to share just a little of how it is that we connected. So um, I happened to receive your book from one of my closest friends as a gift when I started to do this podcast. She's like, oh, I have to send you this book that I know the author. And so she sent me and gifted me prayers of honoring grief. And that is how I know of you is through my friend Catalina. And so thank you, Cata, for connecting us. So I'll just kind of do that shout out to Cata. So I'm just so honored to have you here. I'm really honored to be here. I always love talking about grief. <laughs> well, you wrote about it. So I'm like, <laughs> now I'm like, before we started recording, I was just telling Pixie, I'm like, I was just even reading, rereading the introduction. And just in the introduction itself, there are amazing. I always say the word nuggets or little pieces of like wisdom that are like throughout every single paragraph of this introduction. Um, so your insight on grief is definitely something that is very much alike to how I feel about grief. So I'm just excited about this conversation. So let's talk then about the different books you've written and when you started to write and all of that gist, and then we'll dive into this particular book. Sounds good. Um, well, I began writing, um, the Prayers of Honoring series in about 2014. It came out in 2015. It started as blog posts and, um, I sort of jumped around in 2016, I wrote Prayers of Honoring Voice and in 2017, I wrote Boundaries and Protection. And then in 2018, Prayers of Honoring Grief and then dipped back in, um, to Gold Mining the Shadows in, I think it came out in 2019. So I've been kind of birthing a book a year. I was just um, going to say that. Yeah. It's like, boom, boom, boom. And I love that, that the, what you're saying, birthing. I love that. Hmm. I love that concept of birthing. It's not about writing. It's just, it's born. <laughs> it's yeah. born for year. Yeah. A seed gets sown and then you have to decide, am I going to follow this energy and see what it has to teach me? <laughs> Love that. Now, which of these books, um, I this is going to be a hard one because uh, I've been asked that even just about the podcast. Is there one of them that is more of that baby that you're like, wow, this is the one I was definitely meant to write because it's something I learned from it as I was writing? They're, they really are like, like children. Each of them has kind of their own personality. Um, you know, Boundaries and Protection has a mountain lion on the cover. So it's got a very feisty and fierce and, um, and um, you know, kind of care, self-care, caretaking kind of personality. Prayers of Honor and Grief, just from the cover image alone, you can see that it's very... Um, this book is sort of like her own personality too. So she's sort of just sitting courageously with her, with her feelings and, um, and all that has come to be and trying to figure out how to, um, you know, be with grief every day 
and be with all of the other things, joy and pleasure and responsibility and these sorts of things. Prayers of Honoring Voice is a special book too, because, and this is the one that your dear friend, Catalina Sanchez Frank, just translated into Spanish, um, is, is very timely. So for our times, Prayers of Honoring Voice is really out there right now because people are saying, I want to, I want to speak truth and I, I need some confidence around my voice. I need to be courageous in the way that I, um, speak. And Gold Mining the Shadows, similarly, is just a deep dive into how we can, in a very kind way, um, reparent ourselves for, you know, kind of stripping away some of this colonial programming and some of this stuff that's been stuck on us for hundreds of years. Um, so every book kind of has its has its own sort of persona and and each one is sort of also like born out of the other in that sort of in keeping with that sibling theme you know the first one sort of paved the way for the second one and and so they sort of all travel together um in a in a big conversation that covers a lot of really key topics for healing yes and and talk about healing and by the way i've read the one in spanish of uh the Oraciones de Veneración Voz, the, the, the voice one, mm -hmm. since I was able to read the read it before it came out in print and write my little review on your book, in your book too. So that was exciting so as grateful. well. <laughs> no, and you know, the reading that I also felt very identified, what you just said about when, um, when you read that, like you feel as if it's you that's writing it. It's as if I'm reading a journal entry of my own voice. Like mm -hmm. it really does feel that way in, in, in voice and, um, in voice. Sorry, I'm saying voice because That's I have okay. the in front of me. That's what we um, call it. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, um, and as well as grief one are the two I have also have worksheets and to be able to write, um, your thoughts and even prompt quite prompts for questions. And mm -hmm. so it's also a, a way of also not only just reading, but really looking within um, as a reader. So um, you mentioned something regarding their part of this like healing journey. Um, you in in your bio, I was reading that you um, you're a, a trained healer. So would you dive a little bit into that? Yeah. Um, thank you for saying that about the journal prompts. The books are definitely built to be interactive um, and they do kind of provide like a self-inquiry and also grief and and voice and voice are written in first person so you get mm -hmm. to kind of interact with it as if they are your own words prayers of honoring is a little different it's sort of more from a we perspective um, my training as a healer started in gosh many 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 years ago 23 years or so ago I trained as a body worker um, in Los Angeles. And that led me through many different modalities of healing the body. And then that led me into examining a lot more. Being in my 20s and early 30s, I started to, you know, enter that time in my life where I was doing healing on myself and my emotional body. And so I studied with various teachers, indigenous teachers, non-indigenous teachers for the, for the times that was a little bit, um, now it's called sort of new age. And some was, um, some of my trainings were of a shamanic nature, um, not training to be a shaman, but just to call in some of the transformative tools of utilizing some of our in, more indigenous gifts of imagination, of visualization, of meditation, of, of sitting practice, and things like that. So I received my, how do you call it? Um, like, a, I want to say well-rounded, but, you know, sort of like this very broad spectrum um, conversation in healing over the course of about 20 or so years. And I'm sure that's played a huge part as well than in your perspective when you're writing, because you already know the concepts of healing the body and a huge part of being a well-rounded, like you just even said that, is really 
the within, right? The emotions, the mental state is not just the outward, <laughs> not just the outwardly affecting the inward, but also happens vice versa. That some our inward emotions can affect our our outer, uh, you know, body as well. Correct? Yes, it's it's just a long, you know, a long experience of um, that builds a body of work. I'm very kind of caring to mention in the introductions of all of my books that, you know, I don't have a degree in clinical psychology or anything like that. I just have my own lived experience with moving through some of these challenges and having also had the privilege of a lot of support around me, a lot of key um, players to help me understand what kinds of healing can actually do harm and what kind of healing creates space for the self to, to, you know, basically sort of forge their own path into being in their own body with, with um, not ease. Obviously, these are not easeful times, but, well, but yeah, but ease, so be ease, accepting, accept. Yeah, that ease. I think it's it's also that aspect of um, of just the flowing of allowing it to just come out, right? So some things can actually become blockages and in this what you've been able to experience and learn is ways of opening it in in like you said in a safe way of emotions to be able to kind of travel in a safe way correct is that would that be the right way okay (laughs) yes for the sole purpose of you know being in being able to be in our bodies be honest with ourselves break some of the the patterns of self-betrayal and um you know becoming very kind of uh, shut down and frozen and things like that, which is sort of the conditions that we that we were hatched in here, especially in America, is one that causes us to kind of really compartmentalize the the parts of ourselves that are that are aching for healing and just kind of narrowing ourselves into this you know uh, performative individuals that you know, show up like very good citizens when in actuality, there's so much more to us than that. And we feel, we feel that need for emotional healing, knocking. And if we're not training ourselves or having the conversations with ourselves where we can be honest, then we just keep shelving it. But, you know, um, emotions like grief and, um, sadness and, um, guilt and shame, those things can really creep up on a life and diminish its quality and diminish the quality of relationships. Yeah, because if you're just kind of bottling them in, which is one of the things you mentioned, even in the book, we are so used to not allowing them to show like these other emotions of joy and things like that are allowed, right? They're commonly known you're okay to show you're happy it's okay Mm -hmm. to show you right but then yeah then there's some other emotions that are like put in this like back burner like they're not okay yeah (laughs) what did you just call them sanctioned sanctioned emotions yeah yes yeah and and um and so let's talk now go back to this aspect of grief give me one second my dog is wanting to leave the bedroom so i have to open oh there okay my husband just opened it she um she wants to, she likes to play, uh, give me company while I'm doing this, but then she um, decides to exit and then I have to get up from the, from the desk to, to get, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, That's okay. Yeah. She's usually the one that interrupts my podcast um, because of that. So um, yeah. So let's go into why then grief and your own journey, if you don't mind sharing whatever parts of grief uh, you'd like to share in this podcast because it, yeah. it, it, I can know you've lived grief and you even say, Oh, if you think that you haven't experienced grief, look around you. Like, uh, where was it? Oh, nothing to grieve. Have you look around? People are hurting everywhere. The earth is grieving the loss of her biodiversity. Humankind is becoming rapidly more unwell due to environmental pollution and economic inequality. Like there are things that whether we've experienced it ourselves, or if we're just able to look around, we're going to have something to grieve about. So yes. what your grief journey? Let's go there. <laughs> yes, let's go there. Well, some of us also carry grief, you know, for others, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, and and it's probably more unconsciously than not. But just to look out on the earth and see 
trash or pollution or things like that. You know, it, it hurts to a feeling body is affected by that. And so, you know, anytime we feel a sorrow, uh, which is a, you know, a daily thing around here, I guess, is to encounter grief. And so for me, I experienced routine grief and, and I just wasn't calling it that until I had a second term uh, miscarriage, second trimester, sorry, Am I saying that right? Second trimester? Yeah. Second trimester miscarriage when I was 31. So in the early 2000s. And it, it just so happened that I experienced this loss while I was surrounded in um, a community that I had been part of for a couple of years. So I, I, it is as if I was able to grieve because I had support. Otherwise, before that, all of my grief, I think, was in a vacuum. Um, and I could share grievances with friends and family and things like that. But I, I don't feel that I really got the opportunity to embody my grief, to have supporters around me who are wise to say, you are in a grieving process. So that was an all new language for me, you know, just 20 years ago. And um, so what the unique thing that happened that I did not expect, I, I made time and space to, to grieve this particular loss, which is, you know, this is a, um, um, a pregnancy loss or the loss of a child or even the loss of a parent. These are kind of like, um, you know, approved, allowed, um, examples of, of mourning or situations in which, you know, our employers and things say, you know, of course you lost your mother. I'm sending condolences. I'm so sorry. So there's sympathy around these kinds of losses. But what happened for me as I got my first permission in my life to grieve um, was that every other grief that was significant for me that had happened up to that point came like little children, you know, um, Yes, banging on the on the mausoleum saying, we want to be acknowledged too. We deserve space in here to be felt for the first time ever after decades of not being felt. And so I became very overwhelmed um, at that time with how many things. Uh, it almost became to the point, Kendra, where the loss of the pregnancy was, number one, kind of a portal, a pathway into living with with grief every day um and it also the the many griefs from childhood and other events that had happened all began to almost eclipse the loss um of this dream you know of having this baby that wasn't gonna get to be it was sort of like um cathartic it was a cathartic experience it was it seems really cathartic and cleansing to some extent but what you're just saying about it kind of clouding kind of like eclipsing that, even mm -hmm. though that was, it, but it, it, it just kind of showed, I, I'm sure, I don't know if this is your perspective. In my perspective, I had a miscarriage as well. My first pregnancy was a miscarriage, but I feel that um, it, with what you're saying, it's as if it had to occur for you to be able to live all these other, or um, I don't want to say the word deal. What would be deal with? I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, be able to feel these other grief experiences you've had, you had had. Um, so it was a catalyst for that. Yes. It was my initiation. <laughs> yeah. I, wow. So that was then that, that particular then instance. Yeah. Cause when I read this and you, you talk about then the community, sorry, I'm like re read, training again my thought here because I'm looking at your book I want to ask things here but then I also have want to ask things regarding the things you just said you just mentioned the community you were in what was different about this community that allowed you to be able to express your grief than what you had been brought up to up to then what was unique about this community there were a few things that were unique one is that it was a very I lived in a very small town that had about population 1,000. And so the people who I gathered with were consistent. There was some um, real family vibes with this in this place. And um, 
But probably the most significant thing about it is that up until that point, my peers had been mostly disconnected. You know, they had all come together at my wedding, which is one reason, you know, that we have weddings is so we can have all of our support people around us at once. Um, although the, the custom itself is, is evolving. Um, these women in particular that were around me were older than me. Um, some of them were as old as my um, parents and others a little bit less so, but they had a, such a body of life experience that I didn't have. So they sort of took me under their wing. And while I recognize that is that was very unique to me, I'm realizing that today there are, um, it's much more common today that we have a circle or um, a group of friends that we can share our hearts with. And, and I hope, you know, my, my hope and my goal is that people build this and create this around them, a safe circle. Um, and so that was very different for me. And so it, it really was kind of like going to birth my next self um, through this grief process. And that suddenly I had, you know, five or six very reliable and experienced midwives or doulas to be able to say, we've, we've got you on this. Um, and it was simple things too, Kendra. It wasn't like a, a large grief ceremony, wailing and veils and such. Um, although I have staged such things uh, since then, it was just just permission, just permission to be where I was at. It was, um, I was provided verbally and spatially with, um, you know, the, the space to process, to talk about it, to be stuck in it even. You know, there was no judgment about, gosh, you have been talking about this loss or this pain for so long when are you going to get over that and this is the kind of way that yeah. it was growing up in my family move on you know just stop loitering in it and so for the first time ever i had permission to just be how i actually was without having to you know as women also we're very surveilling of ourselves always checking ourselves and watching ourselves so we're not disrupting anyone's peace in any way. And so this was a permission. Grief is messy. It, it's disruptive. You go ahead. You be in that space. We'll hold it around you. Meanwhile, we're going through all of our own things too, and we'll find common ground. But there was just a very sweet intersection of um, allowing me to be where I was at. And that sounds so simple, but it, it really, I grabbed that ball and ran with it. <laughs> They held space for you. They, they, they really just like held space for you to be able to just be with your emotions, be where you were at, uh, be who you were, but maybe you had even not been able to be totally you, like you were just even saying, even before that, maybe. Um, yeah. So what a, what a beautiful community then that birthed you birth, uh, birth pixie 2.0 version of, <laughs> of pixie at that moment. I'm sure it's yeah. right. And Every single experience, there's a growth uh, component. So what would you say in that particular instance, what was the, the biggest growth component in you and in your life, having experienced grief at that point in your life? You know, and a big, I would say in looking back that so much faith was um, cultivated in me. I did not grow up with um, religious practice in my family. And um, so this, this spirit that was in my body and then suddenly wasn't, um, was I felt connected. I felt, um, I felt like it was a, 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 something that happened that turned the lights on and then the lights could never be turned off again. It was an awakening of sorts. And it wasn't this monumental thing that I woke up with one day and was like, oh my gosh, the lights have been turned on. Um, but each time I started to find myself in emotional situations, then I would remember that I had this experience, this sort of light of divinity in a way that was just walking with me, not telling me what to do, not requiring anything of me, just being with me. I felt very not alone because this experience had happened 
for me. And so, you know, I say that the community was were midwives, but it was really grief that birthed me into the person that I am today. Um, and so, you know, cultivating trust in the process of life, um, because of course, when you have a, a miscarriage, everyone is saying, well, you know, you're young, you can try again. They're saying all these things that are inappropriate, um, trying to comfort their own discomfort with loss and pain that they're not dealing with maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. And you, I think, I think you say that, uh, I think you say that in your intro, wasn't that like, I think you mentioned exactly those words that you just said that a lot of times what makes people uncomfortable is not your own grief, but it's because it's something within them that they have not been able to, uh, to deal with yet, to be able to express themselves, express themselves. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, (laughs) so with that, um, with that knowledge that I am, I am here to soothe myself. Um, and how do I, how can I do that? And so, you know, through practices of sitting, through um, healing, through body work and listening and writing and all of these things, I began to understand, oh, creator gave me the ability to soothe myself because, you know, life will not be in balance. We will not get everything that we want. Things will not always go smoothly. And my reactions to it, which were at the, you know, before that rather limited to shutting down, fighting back, um, you know, uh, fleeing, cutting and running in a situation that was scary, essentially just not being able to be with myself and be with my feelings. I was self-abandoning. And so the process of grief allowed me to stop self-abandoning, to just be with what was. And it was every day it was different. Some days I could get up and walk the dogs and um, other days I needed to just be with my journal in, in my bed or wait tables at a restaurant or, you know, whatever it was that I felt called to do, I realized that my doing was not the same as my feeling. And mm-hmm. so I cultivated and you experience this when you're, when you're going through the rounds in um, the Prayers of Honoring series is that we have these different ways of being in these magnificent human bodies. One is our capacity for thinking and ideas. Um, the next is our capacity for action and doing. And um, the next is our capacity for feeling. I like to think of that as being in the West on the compass. And then our capacity for just being. And so I I realized that as I started writing and being with myself, I realized everybody wants to skip the West, you know, like we were great for ideas and creative, um, creative um, thinking and um, intellectualizing and we're great on the ground at taking action. And then when it comes time to feel it's, we, I've heard many times people say, well, I'm, um, I don't, I'm afraid to open the floodgates because I fear that it will never stop. And Mm -hmm. I heard during my years of being a body worker, I heard people say that so many times. I thought, this is a thing. We really fear our feelings and we really fear grief. We think it's going to swallow us up. We think it's going to be like quicksand. It's going to drown us. And it really is akin to the waters um, of which, you know, makes up our body, makes up our earth. And so I thought, why is this? why is this being so rejected? Why are the, is the feelings part being so, um, not just rejected, ridiculed? Um, and we see this today in our politics. Um, why is this not cultivated in, um, in many people, but you know, probably what we think of first is it's not really cultivated in males. Um, it's rejected in males or, you know, anything that parts of us that are male. And so, I just started to really want to spend time, quote, in the waters. And it was a very transformative experience. And it still is. Grief didn't just go away one day. Um, It's not a package that you wrap up and go to the post office with and mail to the North Pole or something, you know. (laughs) It's with us every day. And and I thought that that's what you were going to hear to come on <laughs> to tell people that they could just like wrap it up and move on with their lives. 
Quite the opposite. It actually is something we, yeah, we carry. And the aspect of the wheel, which you you've mentioned here, and I was actually going to read the part of the West here when you were mentioning it because I was like looking. I'm like, okay, the West. I just went there. The 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 West invites you. So the way Pixie has written this book is in East, East, then it's South. Am I right? Hold on. East, mm-hmm. South, West, and then North. And it's in a the you know like that wheel and. You never know when it's going to go back again. It's, uh, it doesn't always go in a circle. Yeah, there's not a particular stage, but those, yeah, but it's there. But um, so the West is, the West invites you, invites inward healing. It is often passed over in hurried attempts to sidestep the pain of messy hardships. Just what you were just saying, that it's like we don't, we kind of don't want to go there, right? We don't want to go. And the challenge is what it says here, facing ghosts and skeletons in order to gather dissociated fragments and integrate the abandoned contents of the soul. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And then each prayer, like it's just so beautiful because just in, I'll just give you guys the listeners just a just a hint here like a little bit of, of it and for example in this section of west with grief it's like honoring trauma honoring lowlands honoring os- isolation it's not about like oh take it away please no it's honoring where we are in that messy yeah that's the that's the beauty because uh, it's not about pushing it away; it's honoring it, and I love that. So, take us then into that your background, a little bit into your background. Uh, you're from the Choc. You're, um, and I'm gonna be bad at pronouncing Choctaw Nation. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah, Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. Of Oklahoma, do you, uh, does your background itself influence a lot of your? beliefs. I know you, you know, you say you're right. You didn't grow up in a very, in spirit, spiritual, was it a spiritual home or was it just not religious? Was it spiritual, but not religious or neither one necessarily? It was, it was not religious in my immediate family, but of course my grandparents, um, had been brought up in one or, or more versions of Christianity. Um, my native family, um, were, pretty easily Christianized um, at the time of assimilation in the 1800s. And that definitely trickled down into my family. I like when it comes to spiritual um, and family matters, I like to say that we didn't get the benefits of um, a religious practice or spiritual practice, but we, we got all the, like the dregs, the shame of it, like the trickle down (laughs) into, um, into our version, the watered down down version. Yes, which 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 was um, much to do with um, shame, and uh, that imprint on my parents definitely came through. So my parents were born in the fifties, and for my dad, who is native, this was a time during um, Indian Reorganization Act and Relocation Act, and so many many natives were being moved out of their territories and and reservations and spaces and into the cities. So there's a whole gap generation from the 50s to the 80s that did not learn their languages did not you know did not have any pride around being native um obviously i can't or, speak for or all of any or of almost any even the immigrants my dad grew up italian you know my you know the same my grandfather never spoke italian to my dad that yes. that was not something you did you kind of hid that part of you that it was, was not necessarily accepted in whatever that was in society at that time. Yes. Blending in was, and assimilating was very, very, very important. So, um, so certainly coming back into, you know, trying to wrap back into my ancestors and my grandparents, um, indigeneity and the practices of my nation, um, did influence. I've always felt very indigenous. Um, although, you know, we, we only learned a little bit of the language, um, and I'm, I'm still experiencing now, like I'm really understanding how much of that culture, what was left of it, you know, for my grandparents did come through. So in a very nuanced way, I'm, I'm having fun exploring, um, the traditions and tracking them back into, you know, 
ancestral foodways and things like that, total aside. But in terms of grief... Oh, no. Food is huge, by the way. Food, food is a huge link to ancestry. So it's like, that's like, right? That, I think that, that that's, a, that's a way into back into your ancestry with food lineage, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big time. So, you know, and, and so wrapping back into that experience, I'm finding myself, I mean, I'm almost, I'm going to be 50 years old this year as well. A lot can happen between 28 and, and 49. And so the, you know, the, the um, spiritual influence just keeps probably settling a little bit more into my bones and and coming out of my blood memory. And there's play, there's room for that to play. And I think that's what a lot of folks are experiencing right now. There's a, um, there is a shift away from, um, it's, it's subtle, you know, it's been rippling through the people for a long time to not have to move in a straight line with things. I, I think that these times are calling us to be more fluid, to be more like water, to um, never to take something and and leave what we don't need behind in terms of, of religion and things and the difficult lessons that grief teach us and self-abandonment teaches us and self-betrayal and some of these kinds of things are, are spiritual concepts that that appear in all of the holy texts but that are available to us at all times. So it was a very spiritual journey to be with my grief and then many years later to write about it and to realize how um, there's, a, there's a wonderful teacher of grief. Her, she's no longer with us, but her name was Sabonfu Somme. And she taught grief rituals uh, around the world. She's from Burkina Faso and um, was a wonderful, wonderful teacher and mentor she would say things like, you know, if only the leadership in the world would attend a grief ceremony like this one that we're having, then there would probably not be any war. You know, that many of the, of the greater world's problems are because, because we have not um, gone into and been with our pain. We're, we have adapted to it in a way that is very harmful toxic internally um and doesn't doesn't serve but you know the the period that we are living in that is so industrialized that that put so many people uprooted them disrupted their life ways and put them on different continents you know to either dominate or be dominated you know there's a lot of trauma that we're holding in our bodies um, that came down through the ancestors and and shame and um, you know victimness and so being with that is very uncomfortable and yet this is what time is calling us to do is to be with what how the world really is and not how we want it to be or how we fantasize like Disneyland it is mm -hmm. and what you're saying right now is very similar to then what you even experienced then in your in your miscarriage because when you do sit with it when you do sit with the reality then you allow all these other emotions and memories and traumas or whatever to come through like you like even like what happened with your own grief experience right like we need to be present in order to acknowledge everything that's happened to us in the past to come through and allow it to flow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I a, think grief is, is like a scary animal with very sharp teeth for some people. And the truth is that it's your own teeth. You know, are you going to bite yourself <laughs> or are you going to be gentle with yourself with, with how things really are? We have that choice um, to be that way. And and yeah, also doesn't bite. That's what you wrote here. The, the, grief doesn't bite. It doesn't bite. <laughs> it doesn't bite. <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing is, is that like a clinical psychologist will say, you can titrate. You can utilize like a. You can be a a little bit of a gatekeeper for yourself. Like I'm going to give myself an hour to feel whatever comes up, and then when the hour is over. This is a very Western approach, obviously, but when the hour is over, I'm going to get up and, you know, make lunch for my family or something like that. 
um, just to be able to say, okay, I'm feeling, oh, I'm feeling, oh, there's a sensation. Oh, that's really uncomfortable. Oh my gosh, that's making me so sad. And then like, okay, I'm going to let the part of me that's scared of that just, um, you know, close the gate gently on that. And I, and then we have this wisdom then, oh, this lives in me. It's there. I can visit it again. I can make priority. I can make time for it. Um, but we, you know, we're, we're learning how to know ourselves and there's nothing wrong, you know, with, with where we're at, at this place in time. I mean, it, there is obviously grave harm that has been done by people not feeling their pain, but this is collectively, it is a time for us to, um, make safe, um, feeling, you know, make feeling safe. Mm. I, I like that you're bringing it back, not only to just ourselves, but just as a collective of what's happening, even just in our nation. So it's not just about our individual grief of things that we've had, but back again, so that anybody listening to this could relate to that, to relate through this call. Oh my gosh. I'm like, my, what is happening with my words? I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I, I think because I said things before in Spanish, I told you Catalina's something's happening with my tongue that wants to maybe be in the Spanish mode. Something's off. <laughs> I'm like, why am I having trouble speaking? Well, um, and that's that not moving in a straight line anymore. You know, we're such, we're, we are beings who are not just in this one language in this one way. I just, I wish we could understand each other better, but you know, uh, for a podcast. Yeah, I the Spanglish, the Spanglish that wants to come out in me. I that's love it. Probably what's happening. Um, Bring it. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that you've read your own book in Spanish, now you can, you can, you can understand it. So, um, so no, that aspect of that collective grief that you're sharing, um, and the, and the sitting with it, it is such, it is such a healing process. I really have felt that that is something that this year talking with other people that feel this way too, about as hard as this last year has been as a collective, it also has been beautiful because it has allowed us to see all the areas in which we are hurting as a nation and that we still have to heal and work through, you know, certain things. So I feel that just as in a personal life, grief allows you to kind of shine a light in other areas of your life as a collective. I think it's done that as well as a nation. Yeah. And we see as a nation what happens when we invalidate feelings, when we skip a place in our critical, um, you know, learning here on human school or earth school. Um, we see that it that so much harm can be done and overlooked. And and if we're not tending it in ourselves, then we're not going to want to tend it. We're not going to want to create mutual care and mutual aid for others. And um, that's being that's being called for right now in a very big way um, is to reimagine how we're caring for others. But how can we do that without, a, you know, the, the trappings of codependence if we're not tending to and caring for ourselves? And it's beyond self-care. You know, it's beyond a really good smelling bubble bath, although that can be nice. Big fan. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we're going to have to care for these bodies that we're in and realize that the waters, the feelings, the memories, this, it's all part of us. So do we need to loiter? Do we need to really make a big fuss and a scene about it? If it serves you, okay. If, it, if that's not what serves you, then still just people say, well, when I go to feel my feelings or I feel my grief, what does it actually look like? I mean, this is how... How it's different for everybody. <laughs> yes. Well, this is how dis disconnected we are from our feelings. So it can be something like just saying, I feel, I feel low today, or I feel a little blue today, or, Ooh, that little thing made me feel sad for a moment. You know, like our feelings are fluid. So they move in, they move out. We react to things that are coming toward us and things that are in us. And then they move out. That's what tears are such a great example of that. You know, we don't just cry, cry, cry rivers until we're dry, the tears come. And then it's sort of like the rain, you know, the clouds part, it's clear again. It's a very natural process for us to be able to move through feelings. Now, some traumas are very, very, very painful and very complicated and need, um, need witnessing. They need space created, you know, by professionals and people who work in mental health and 
things like that. And so making sure that we have those spaces so that people can tend to their grief is, is so important as well. We have a little grief center here in Circle, works in the prison system, works with individuals. Um, access is made very, um, very doable. I, every community needs a hub for grief. So that there are so that you can be resourced when you're going into this process. The daily grief is something that we can just speak a sentence. You know, I'm not happy that this happened, or that really hit me in a hard way, or that scared me. This is something we're having a really hard time saying in in this nation right now. I'm scared. Um, meanwhile, it's bubbling and brewing and having its way with us inside. Um, but sometimes just giving it a voice can really help move it through. And other griefs that have been sat on for a very long time, you know, holding the suitcase, sitting on it and keeping it buckled in, um, we need help with, we need to get help, extra help with that. Yeah. I feel that those, like you said, the, the suitcase sitting on it, I feel like I always compare it to like a pressure cooker kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. you're just like waiting for it at one point to just like, oh yeah, it's going to blow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blow. And so I, I always say you got to let the steam out, right? So I feel that grief is like that. You need to allow it, the, you know, allow the steam to come out. If not, it will just go, you know, um, and it will come out in a way that you don't recognize it as grief either, because right. it comes out sometimes way later in life. Mm -hmm. And you just have, you think you just have anger issues or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, whatever it is that came out and not realizing that all it was, it was just unattended grief. You even said something about like a little, how you, you compared it to like a house at the beginning in the intro, something like in the, oh, a little house out in the woods, you know, kind of that you don't go and visit, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, you know, you forget to go even to visit. And so, Abu um, Abuela, mm-hmm. Yeah, like you need to go, go see the lady who sweeps, the lady who the woman who throws the bones. You have to, you know, go visit with grief. Make time for her. Yes, yes, yes. And it's and it really is not that it really is not that scary. It really isn't. I don't know. The more I talk about it, the especially in these conversations, the the less scary it is. <laughs> I think if it surprises folks, if they're in a clinical therapeutic process or they become triggered by something a partner does or says or, you know, things that happen even in, in the political world can be very triggering. It, it reminds us, it opens up these spaces that remember, oh, that something happened to me that really, really, really hurt. And I am, I'm scared. I'm sad. I feel like I'm going to be wrecked. And it can be very disruptive when it surprises you. Mm -hmm. Um I think it can, you know, that's, that's what I think surprises or um, scares folks when they say, I'm afraid to open the, open the flood, you know, if the floodgate is opened, I'm afraid I'm never going to be able to get the gate back down on that, you know, put the dam back up. But it's not been my experience, even with these, you know, the seriously, severely traumatized, um, it has not been my experience or witnessing limited though it is, that that it works that way. You know, it comes in, we can sip it a little bit. It comes, it doesn't just come drowning us. Um, I I agree. I, I, I agree. I feel that it's just that you say ebb and flows. I've compared it myself with like the ocean. It's just mm -hmm. like waves in and out. You don't know what it is, but they're, they're manageable. You, mm -hmm. you, you know, and yeah, some of them might just tumble you down. And I think the most important is having the tools in order to be able to navigate your grief. Uh, you even say you're kind of like this, like you're the one rowing this boat, um, kind of what people are in this, like you're kind of like the guide with this book um, in your uh, prayers of honor. I keep on referring to the book because I'm holding it, but um, you are just taking people into this journey, into their own grief journey, but they have to still be there to row, right? You still have to kind of be there, but you can have that tool in order to navigate that, whether it's journaling, these journal prompts, writing, having a community, like you mentioned before, when you experience your own grief. What other tools have you found that have been helpful in the different grief journeys you've had? I mean, self-talk for me is very important. Um, I have to have a gentler voice with myself than the one I had, you know, many, many years ago. Um, 
because we live in a culture that that um, relies on dominance and um, you know submission, this is sort of how we we motivate ourselves and get ourselves to do things. We say rough things like pull it together or you know um, stop crying or you know stop wasting time and things like that. So as as we get older, I think that it maybe becomes can become the invitation is, to become a little bit more curious, a little bit more gentle. Um, we're reparenting ourselves in a way. And so, you know, how we, we think differently about how to raise children these days than we did, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and so I sometimes, if I'm speaking harshly to myself, I'll say, would you say that to your daughter or your son? You know, would you, is that the way, how would you say that? for the outcome that you're wanting to see happen. If you're wanting them to feel supported, if you're wanting them to stay open and um, stay well, how would you say that? So I'm learning to talk to myself differently. I'm also learning not to feel ashamed about telling people about it. I'm finding probably the most empowering for me is just finding language around my grief. Um, what is it like? Is it like a river today? Is it like an ocean? Is it like a sprinkle of rain? Is it you know, like a boggy puddle, um, you know, just finding ways to say, oh, I, I am in my body. It is like this. Um, and then, and then being with it that way, you know, oh, I'm like a hurricane today. I'm just ratcheted up and cleaning my house in a frenzy. I'm think I'm avoiding something, you know, I need, I need help, but I don't know how to ask for it. I'm stuck or whatever, you know, just what is the truth in this moment? How is it? And then eventually it, you know, it shifts, it moves. That is the only constant is change, right? Mm -hmm. Our fear <laughs> of expecting it to always be this way keeps us in, in, in a kind of trap. <laughs> that is so, that is a good, that is a good way of saying, cause it's not, I don't know why we expect things to stay the same when we know they never are, right? It, life is always changing. Yet, you're right, like when we want those things to continue the same, um, then it's like a expectation hangover or like we let ourselves down because of things we thought that were going to be a certain way or things like, you know what I mean? Like we make the grief be what it is, not the situation itself. It's our own ideas about what was going to be. That's exactly that right. It. Yeah. And we were not made to be patient. You know, patience is not built into us. So if we have to revisit the same pain or the same lesson, you know, four or five times or more, then we're just like, <clears throat> I thought I was over this, you know, like, why am I still suffering in this same way? And we punish ourselves cruelly for having to revisit the same um, lesson. And we know it is like a spiral. It is like an onion. It is like something that comes around and teaches us again and again. And this is, you know, our pain, our experiences, our loops, feedback loops. We, every time we come into contact with it, we have the opportunity to react in a different way. But we're so results oriented in this culture. We want to do whatever it's going to take to make it go away. And that's, that we can't be thinking like that, like whatever it's going to take for us to be in better relationship with it. You know, I love what you just said. It's feedback. It's feedback because it shows us either where you are now, because are you going to make a different choice this time when this presents itself again? Mm -hmm. or have you grown from that experience before that now when it comes back up again, are you going to react or differently than you did before. So it, it's, it's definitely, yeah, I like that, that word feedback that you just said. It's uh, it, it's lets you know where you are in your growth by depending on how it is you reacted in that moment. Yeah. Uh, we played. Uh -huh. Did you play with those little t basket tubes that you could put your fingers in? Like a, I think they used to call it Chinese finger trap. You would put your fingers in. Oh it. yeah. 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 On both ends. On yes. ends that were like woven, uh -huh, bamboo mm -hmm. woven. And you try to pull it out and it gets stuck. And the only thing that gets you unstuck is relaxing, right, into it. Um, mm. It's so similar with our emotions. We can get tight. We can get really, really, really tight. And, um, and then, you know, ourselves, our families, our relationships, you know, 
do not thrive when we are getting tighter and tighter because we're refusing to be with ourselves in the way that we are. It's not grief and feelings are not tidy. They're not linear. Um, and this, you know, as we become more in better relationship with grief and feelings, I think we become much more reacquainted with, you know, the qualities of womb that is life-giving and is of value. We have, you know, when we devalued um, women, when we devalued mothers, grandmothers, when we devalued elders, um, we, we, did ourselves a great disservice as a human, you know, as, as humans, because we just sort of cut that part out of the equation because it, it was too mysterious, too messy, too bloody, too emotional, you know? So obviously we have psychology and, and clinical medicine that says, oh, this is a sign. These are signs of hysteria. You know, these are signs of of madness and and we're going for sanism here. And I think that that is very, very detrimental. It, it, people fear not being well with their feelings so much that they just tied it off in a knot and, and now it's just, you know, building up in there. So as you said, letting the pressure cooker, <laughs> letting the, yeah, letting it kind of just come down a little bit. Being with ourselves is it, it's, I know that we're moving into this and I have seen people relaxing themselves in the trap of fear of feelings for at least gosh probably close to 20 years and as i as i start to feel my community being better surfers you know riding the waves of what comes up without having expectations for it to just be this one way um i'm seeing a lot of change we we are seeing a lot of change at a national level and i think that um, seeing things how they really are, being with things how they really are, feeling into our feelings ha is having a role on that stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just the being on If we're not honest of, to how it is we're feeling, we can't move forward. You know, we can't grow from it unless we're honest with how it is we're feeling as an individual and as a nation. We can't move forward unless we're honest with where we're at. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, that is absolutely true. Oh, Pixie, it's been a pleasure talking with you in my in my jumbled jergo. I don't know what it is. What happened today with my with my <laughs> with I don't my know. Let's just here. go with it. I mean, I think that <laughs> that's what grief and feelings do. You know, we're not yeah. in the east with our brains on straight. We're, we're in not. our feelings, it which is. are fluid. At all. And you know what is so funny? I rarely end up listening back again to my interviews. I only hear them just to be able to get the little you know, blurb of whatever it is I'm going to use for the intro, um, like as a little teaser, because if I did, I would be analyzing, overanalyzing, oh my goodness, I did this, I said that, and that judgment component comes in. So I'm like, oh, whatever, I, you know, like you said, it's, this was the, the, this was the day of the tongue twisted Kendra <laughs> here, and and yeah, that's just the reality. Just like some days, like we're talking with grief, some days my grief will just be right on my shoulder, right out there in my emotions. Other times it's not. So yeah. same thing today, but thank you for, for going with this wave, right? Yeah, this well, wave. we know the magic happens in the conversation, you know, this is yes. what we know. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Much. Now, to be able to uh, get your books, do they go to your website? What's the best way for somebody to access PixieLightHorse.com? Yep, PixieLightHorse.com um, has sales pages on every book, and they can be ordered and shipped by my team here. They're also available in PDF. And um, what else did I want to say? Oh, wholesale orders. Many t um, stores, boutiques, retailers, yoga studios, things like that carry books they're half price um and they're so you would use the wholesale ordering form on the website so they're available a whole bunch of different ways of course they're at amazon and barnes and noble and walmart and things like that as well so thank you access. so much it's been a pleasure having you and learning from you and now i'm like i still i'm like all my highlighted things i wanted to mention of the book that's why i think i was so lost because i'm like wait i want to ask about this part and then i went but then i'm like wait but i also want to pay attention to what it is she's talking about <laughs> that salad she's tossing <laughs> so, so anyway thank you uh, once again thank you
Thank you, Kendra, so much for having me. It's such an honor, and I really appreciate um, your relationship to Catalina. And maybe we'll do a part two someday. Folks want to hear more. Yes, that'd be that'd be great. In Save your questions. Not, in a day that I'm not like. <laughs> you Thank are you great. So Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day. <laughs>